0: Welcome to the 13th in our series of podcasts. The topic of this podcast is lockdowns, art, cooking and sin. Mm. I'm very happy to be joined in this latest podcast by encephalitis ambassador and multi-talented Matthew Bowes. Matthew is an actor, an artist, a nutritionist, a life coach, an excellent cook and as I recently discovered, the proud owner now of an allotment. He's also been an ambassador with the Encephalitis Society for 14 years and he was our first ambassador. So he sort of feels really precious to me. It was like, it's like getting your first toy. Um, Personally speaking, his support and guidance has meant the world to me, especially throughout those really early years when we were a much younger charity and we were beginning to deal with things like the press and the media. Um, In addition, and perhaps more importantly, I'm really delighted actually to be able to call him my friend as well after all this time. He is annoyingly handsome and youthful and to this day still refuses to confirm that he is hiding a painting in his attic of Dorian Gray. So Matthew, welcome.
1: Oh thank you, what a lovely introduction, (laughs) if only any of that were true, except for the friendship part of course that is true, but hello and thank you for having me.
0: You're so welcome, look it feels like Years ago, when we were at last in a room together, I know it hasn't been that long, but how have you been during this really kind of uncertain time?
1: It has been a roller coaster, hasn't it, for everyone? I think I'm it's interesting for someone like me, I'm not one for normally discussing how I feel. Uh, publicly you know so which I don't think is a good trait I'm not uh, saying that's a good thing so it's been quite good for me actually that this time I've I've been forced into an arena where I've had to say actually I'm not doing so well because the business is all collapsed we have a guest house which obviously went to the wall the acting profession dried up you know lots of things came to a complete standstill and at the beginning I just thought it was a couple of weeks, months or whatever, because no one knew, did we? And then uh, as the months rolled on, started to sell everything that we had, uh, even my body, not my body, actually nobody wants that. But the, um, you know, we just got to a point where we were just thinking this is quite serious, and I began to get an anxiety that I couldn't shift. Just sort of woke up with it, and you know, it was it was quite stressful. But you know, I always think that you've got to turn these things around. I think the great thing that humans can do is we process and we adapt and we survive, and I think that's pretty much been my goal throughout this entire last year and a half.
0: Yeah I mean mental health um, is something that has become I think very important to society as a whole as a result of this pandemic. Um, I guess you know jumping straight in really there might be some listeners who who really identify with what you've just said. Um, do you have any tips on improving mental health? You know what, what's one piece of advice that maybe comes to mind for you?
1: Well, I think it it was, for me, it became about uh, localising my panic, if you know what I mean. I had to come to a stage where I realised that I couldn't do anything about the global issue and global responsibility is very weighty I think it's uh, in itself it brings huge stress because if you look at all the terrible things that are happening in the world it's easy to be overwhelmed I think and just become completely almost desensitized to it almost actually so I made everything very personal I thought I'm going to it's you know I think as a generation perhaps you know we were brought up mustn't be selfish you know you shouldn't think out think about yourself and but looking out for number one as it were has uh, in, a, in a proactive, positive way for my mental health has become the key thing. So I became micro ambitious. I would just wake up and think, right, I'm going to do whatever this thing is I'm doing, maybe make a cake, but I'm going to make the most spectacular cake I can personally make in this moment and then I'm gonna move on to the next moment and then I'm gonna move on to the next thing and tickle everything else along obviously because one has to pay bills and the rest of it. But I found structuring it that way much easier for me to cope because as a as it all comes at you so fast, I just became overwhelmed. I just thought, I'm just gonna lie on my bed. I'm not gonna get up. And there were days when I thought I can't get up I just can't you know I was just doing this sort of terrible kind of anxiety thing and then I just think no just do one thing just get up and be glad that you've got up I'm oh here I am you know and it sounds tight, perhaps but I think those that gratitude for those moments really moment to moment to moment is what got me through oh,
0: that's amazing I know, you know, from knowing you that you have a background also as a fully qualified life coach. Um, Has that helped you maintain a positive outlook during the drudgery of the last year in any way? Mm -hmm.
1: I suppose the the reason I did the life coaching and the nutrition courses and studied all those things and have continued to, was not because I wanted to be a life coach or a nutritionist, because I I don't, to be honest. Um, But uh, I just thought it would enhance my own life, my own understanding of myself. I always think that self-awareness is the greatest gift we can give ourselves. And I think constantly learning and being aware of what's happening within myself, uh, trying to understand these complexities of being human um, is actually a, a wonderful journey to go on a lifelong one and one of the things about life coaching that I've always thought was interesting that it's about permission and it's in a sense the thing I take from that it was giving myself permission to fail I suppose in the sense of I felt I should be able to cope you know everybody else was making sourdough bread and learning a language and going to the gym and they were all sort of running marathons being amazing and I just wanted to lie face down on the floor like a puppy just lie there until it was all over you know and uh, and I thought oh I'm failing you know and here I am this person I think that often people look at me and think oh you know Matthew's doing all this and he's got all this going on and all the rest of it I mean one's perception of how other people see you of course is so through a you know uh, it's all through a prism isn't it but um and I but I realized that it was giving myself permission I suppose to be okay with struggle, with processing. And that permission actually just on a general basis has been hugely useful to me and I take it forward. And a lot of people I've talked to who I realize when you start saying to people, are you okay? Um, and you realize they're not and they've been hiding or they've tried to put you know plaster over the cracks. Uh, you know, talk about that permission, I suppose, and not just as a buzzword, but properly understanding what that means and how you come to terms with it and process it and allow yourself the journey, allow the processing. And I think, honestly, that if the only thing that anybody does during the entire pandemic is process and understand what's happening to them and survive it, then they've achieved everything. And that, to me, is so important because all the sourdough bread in the world and all the languages in the world won't give you, you know, if that is something that works for you, then that's great. But to me, it was transference. I needed to deal with the fact that I had an internal dialogue of anxiety constantly that I couldn't then go forwards, you know, I was sort of stuck in this spiral of fear. And so I think that's the processing and the acknowledgement and the uh, allowing the the permission has been so vital for me.
0: Yeah, I think those are such important points and recently I I watched the Roman Kemp documentary about um, young male suicides and what I took away from that you know there's always so much information in these things but my takeaway was what they called the rule of two when you ask someone are you okay and of course people go yeah 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 I'm fine Go, no are you okay and and I I took that away and actually it's already had a bit of an impact because we do just fluff off whether we're okay. Um, and I think, you know, we've learned a lot. So that, that's, that really resonates with me, um, you know, what you said
1: it's become a thing though hasn't it that people say you're all right you know and it it's not intended as an actual question is it and I think that often people just say it as and then if someone says well actually I'm feeling a bit this then some people like oh yikes I wish I never said that but I think what's happened now is that people have realized that those tiny words all those things that we just say now that have become are actually really really important and taking in someone's face and seeing how they're dressed and you know when I check in on my mother to make sure that she's you know was she wearing that when I saw her last and has she eaten, you know, just doing little checks without making her feel that I'm watching her or judging or anything like that, which would be horrific. And of course, I'm not doing that. But I I need to know because the safeguarding the people around me, that's why I say locally. So I've concentrated on that, on the family and friends and anyone else I know. But of course, with social media, you end up being slightly sort of involved in other people's. And because people respond to my Instagram, especially quite beautiful, lovely, really lovely messages, I feel a connection with those people and I feel just those little tiny moments just keep people just jogged along a bit just keep everyone just lifted up you know just off bumping on the floor and that's that's so important and I, I'm happy and I'm delighted and honoured to be part of that.
0: Yeah no great um great words um I'm curious about something now I noticed um during the pandemic that you started using your Indian name Rajat um, on your online profiles, because you were talking about Instagram there. And, yeah. and I wondered, you know, what what, what brought that um, to be? You know, was it something related to the pandemic or something that you were going to do anyway?
1: Well, it's always been something in the background because Rajat is my one of my proper name, if you like. But um, I think in the world at the moment, lo- at large, but especially in the acting Industry, there is a movement at the moment for people to reclaim things that were taken away from them. Uh, in there, and in my case, I, you know, when I was a model, being called Rajat was a, because it was exotic, you know, and like, you were sort of brown, and nobody could quite work out where you were from, and and sort of that that sort of helped modeling. But with acting, it was the opposite because nobody could work out where you were from. You know, you didn't seem particularly English, but you sound English, where are you from? And, and you know, all this box sticking had to go on and still unfortunately does. And the labels were important. And uh, so Matthew worked better for that because there were only Rajat would only be put up for very much uh, ethnic parts, which in those days there were very few of. We're not talking that long ago either, but it's, you know, it became a thing that I, a lot of people were reclaiming it and using both or calling themselves that. And I was a bit sort of, because I feel in two minds about it, to be honest, because Matthew has achieved quite a lot of things as Matthew uh, in that acting profession. But I also see that there are people, this is the flip side of it, who are, you know, producers or people who network work people who make these decisions that just run down a list of things and see a name and a face and think oh, that that person looks Indian or they look this they sounded, but Matthew doesn't look Indian so they wouldn't consider me so it was an experiment really at first and the pandemic in a way seemed like the best time to try that because people were at home a lot more there was a lot more sort of pe- people were much more aware of what was going on I suppose because they were constantly in this different cycle they weren't all at work in their own little silos they were suddenly things were being broken and reset in a different way. And I felt it would be interesting just to trial it on social media to see if anyone noticed or said anything. And the bizarre thing is no, pretty much nobody said anything, but unless I mentioned it, and then you realize that people are nervous to say, oh, you know, what's that about? And, and, and I think that's part of the reason it's been healthy actually, because it's breaking down some of that barrier because I am both of those things. I'm all of those things. I am Rajat, I'm also Matthew, I'm lots of other things. You know, it's I, 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 the name in itself, shouldn't really mean anything but unfortunately in my industry at the moment it does so I'm rolling with it at the moment to try to re-educate shall we say
0: oh I can feel another podcast coming on when you're (laughs) a bit further along perhaps Um, But you talked about your social media, and and obviously, um, we follow each other on Instagram, although you are much better at it than I am, I'm I'm horribly rubbish on Instagram, um, and rarely ever do anything. Um, uh, And on your Instagram page, you have quite a lot of um, artwork, and I I was wondering, you know, because I've seen your artwork, I mean, you do some amazing, amazing stuff. Um, And is it something that you've pursued since childhood or is it something you developed as an adult? You know, what's the story behind it?
1: I've always been a very visual person. I'm interested. I think humans are visual, actually. And I think it's an awful criminal shame that is in for a lot of younger people. It's drummed out of them because they're deemed not artistic or whatever. And I just think that's shocking. But that is another podcast. Um, But uh, I I was given a, a... some color pencils, I think, when I was very young from a jumble sale or something. And I sort of scrapped, you know, I had bits of paper. I was very interested in collage when I was younger. And um, I was obsessed with David Sylvian from the band Japan. And um, so I had these colour pencils. So I decided to do a drawing plus collage and I'm making it sound creepy now, of David Sylvian, And it turned out quite well. And um, then I started becoming more interested in art actually. And my aunt is actually quite an accomplished Oil painter, So she encouraged me seeing that I was doing that and I, I sort of just followed my own path. I did it at uh, A level, but I l- reached, I really, really dis- disliked that because it was very set and regimented and you had to draw sort of a cyclamen on a mirror or something, which I couldn't see the point of. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to f- discover the artistic Element of me, you know, see what that was, you know, and um, I think that that's the problem is that people are always told they have to do it a certain way, but I don't think anything you create is art to me so I've always loved it so I've always had it tickling tickling along in the background I suppose is how I look at it and I do find it quite therapeutic and I can lose myself in those uh, and I only use colour pencils really and I only really do dogs to be honest now so um, because I find that very therapeutic just the you know drawing every individual hair and and the eyes and the expressions are so important to me and um, I just love to see it come alive on the Page And sometimes, you know, it's very kind of you to say that they are, but sometimes they're less successful than others. But, um, you know, it's really, I don't really do it uh, for other people. And that's a very important lesson I learned with it, that or anytime I've created anything, really, I'm not doing it for someone else, I'm doing it for me. So I don't do commissions, for instance, which people find sort of uh, Bizarre say why aren't you doing this as another stream of income? But I just don't like the pressure. I don't want somebody else saying, making suggestions. No, I don't <laughs> no, I don't like your suggestions. I want to do it this way. <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> so um perhaps I'm just not cut out <laughs> to be a commercial artist.
0: Um yeah, well, you said uh, you know, you do mainly dogs now. Um of course I've noticed over time it, it has been mainly animals. I mean, I remember many years ago, do you remember Sally? The, yes it was she a gorilla no she wasn't a gorilla no, the
1: chimpanzee chimpanzee
0: that's yes, right yes. i I remember her I think that got auctioned off somewhere I think yes actually,
1: to the um remember. monkey world the Dorset monkey Rescue world yes oh, okay yeah. I have a big print of it on my wall actually in the guest house and, and it's on a dead end corridor when you turn the corner it's there it's huge and so people <laughs> <laughs> but I find a sort of benevolence in her stare. And of course, she's the most incredible chimpanzee. She's the sort of female uh, leader of the pack and she's just incredible. And um, it, I think that's one of the most successful Portraits I've ever done, actually, but I almost feel it was sort of otherworldly when that happened. And yeah. and sometimes I try to create that differently, but I I don't really have a technique. I think that's my problem. I'm not really trained. I just sort of you know do it. I have an idea in my head of what it should look like, in what I want it to look like rather, and I sort of work backwards from there. It's another life coaching thing, you know. You visualise yourself here, and then you work backwards to how do you get there, you know. So I kind of do that really with it, and sometimes I try stuff, and I never experiment. And do sketchbooks and stuff like proper artists Um, I just sort of chuck it down and if it works great if it doesn't well I'm not selling it you know and and I always say to people you can have it if you want but you don't have to but so far no one said no thank you
0: (laughs) (laughs) no well I, I encourage anybody to go and look at Matthew's um um Instagram page which has got some of his amazing um art on um yeah uh dogs I think there's been the odd cat or two over the years. The pig recently, mm, yes. maybe a little pig recently. Oh, yes, there's a
1: yes, there's. So, a pig in
0: the world. Yeah, you won't be <laughs> disappointed, people. Um, one of the things to come out of the pandemic um, was a project that you started on um, Operation Good
1: Life.
0: Ah, yes. <laughs> um, so, what can you tell me about this? And in particular, what was the catalyst for Operation Good Life? which you can all follow on instagram as well by the way i think that even has its own instagram page
1: it does indeed operation good life it's linked from my matthew Bose one as well it really i mean i'm a city boy really but i'm i'm fascinated by nature i 100% bow down to nature to me nature rules completely i don't try in any way or shape or form to think that i could you know ever get one up on nature so i'm sort of interested in it but slightly scared of it at times but because i've been associated through partner um with farming and various things i think that it's i've learned a whole new uh, admiration for it on a different level now and um this piece of rough land came up for sale and nobody wanted it and i'm fascinated with rewilding and i really want uh, to plant more trees and i wanted to i love bumblebees for instance and so out of this rather prosaic a bit sort of you could argue as like this sort of middle class naffness of thinking i want to paint the world. you know i actually um started this planting these bits and pieces and then realized that actually this was something i could really get behind and learn something actually and um I don't believe in boredom. I think only boring people are bored. So I think you've got to go out and, you know, all this incredible, staggering world is around us. And I thought during this awful time and, you know, with no money and everything going to sort of hell in a handbag, I thought, well, this is something I can do. And um, so, and actually I contacted the Woodland Trust and they very kindly immediately got behind it and gave me um, a huge amount of hedge to plant because I wanted to re-put in hedges and trees. I planted about three and a half thousand plants so far. Um, And so there's, part of it's about 40 acres and part of it is sort of working fields which now have sheep on them rather naughty sheep that keep escaping and um they're not my sheep but they are so naughty and uh, the other bit there is sort of i'm rewilding and i'm planting some bigger trees now and people friends have come and planted trees and uh, which is lovely or given me some donation to do so um and i'm trying to now create an allotment which is something i've never done in my life and grow a vegetable but uh, i'm not sure how successful that's been so far
0: have there been any um, any really funny moments or any disasters?
1: Oh, well, there's been lots of disasters. I mean, the because the thing is, you're up against weather and nature, you know. So the what I was unaware of is just, you know, you think, oh, look at those hares and deer, aren't they cute? Until they destroy everything. The deer, especially, that absolutely, they just literally shred everything. So you have to put protectors on stuff. So at first we put all these wonderful saplings in and then <laughs> they were just, with the weather, it was really hot last year in the April, about this time, oh, Where was it, about sort of springtime. And then then it rained awfully. And it was just, the weather was terrible. And the winter, the Christmas had been really bad when we had to plant these things that were given to us. So I thought, and then everything died all the entire 400 meters of hedges just, it all had these lovely little hawthorn leaves on, died. And I thought, oh, I've, I've just ruined this whole thing. And I was absolutely, but it turns out nature you see is so clever. All nature went, ah, it's really hot. There's no water. So it just killed off the top of the thing and, and went down roots to find water, you know, so it, and then this year they've all come back, you know, so uh, there's a lesson to be learned there, isn't there?
0: Wow. Ah. Uh-huh you'll you'll be talking to my husband Tony you know he used to be a landscape gardener at one point yes you guys are going to have to connect um but uh so in addition to I and I think maybe it's probably connected in some way um you can't fail to notice from your Instagram page that you're a really keen cook I mean some of the stuff looks so delicious Um, And I know you're you're interested in nutrition uh, generally, but what is it about food and cooking and nutrition that inspires you? Um,
1: The thing is I'm I'm not really interested in cooking, actually. I'm interested in eating. And I think that's a very uh, important so um and because I want to eat nice things and different things and uh I have to make them um so you know that's that's why I cook I suppose and I actually don't mind cooking but I it's a means to an end to me to be honest it's just like a stuff my face at the end of it that's the point but also in amongst that I think on a serious side there is the fact that you know I have try to learn how I can best fuel my body. I, I don't follow all the rules of it and it's a very complicated thing. But there are very well established, long established barriers that people have to healthy eating. And one of them is obviously just knowledge, not knowing what's what how your body processes food, how it creates fat, how it burns fat, and all of those things that people obsess about. And um but I I always think it's about balance. So for me, I think you know I like a drink. I'm not going to deny it, but I also think, well, if you have a drink, then drink some water, because I need the balance. You know, if I have a cup of coffee, I always drink water to balance it out again, because there is a a need there for your body to do different things. And water is very important, but also just trying to create some sort of, uh, uh, try to create food that will be interesting, too, because, you know, I think anyone who's the sort of gatekeeper of a house knows that after a while, trying to work out what you're going to have for your tea or for your dinner or whatever is exhausting. And you just think, especially if you worked all day, you just think, and then you see all these people on Instagram whipping up all this sort of extraordinary food. And I think part of the reason that I put my food on Instagram is because it's all done in, I haven't, yes, I have a bit more time than most people because I work from home, but I also don't, it's not complicated. Most of it's from freezer and store cupboard. If I can't make it from things I can just pull out of those, then I'm probably not going to bother because it's, unless I have a day off. I think that's the case for most people they don't have time to make all these things from scratch but there are lots of ways that you can make much healthier versions of the things that you like to eat and very quickly so it's just a knowledge thing really so i think there's some of that on my instagram because of that too
0: Yeah, no, I agree. When I'm because I love cooking, um, and one of the things that puts me off is when you get to a recipe and you look at your picture and it looks amazing, and then you look (laughs) at the ingredients and it's got a a list of ingredients of like 547 things, and I just lose the will to live. I'm just like, oh no
1: um that's yeah. important i think and because a lot of when a lot of people who do their cookbooks you know there are always these extravagant things you're left with and and uh, my friend sabrina Gayos, okay, well, she's her books are written deliberately so that everything you can you can get in your local supermarket and if you If it is something slightly unusual, she always puts something you could have instead. And then because it might be a jar of preserved lemons saying, you think, what the hell am I gonna do with the rest of these? There are 10 other recipes to tell you what to do with those. You know, And I think that's so important in recipes because otherwise you end up with all this stuff and you just think, what am I gonna do with this now? This thing of whatever it is, you know, and I, I don't like all that. I just think, I don't think there's any point to it. And I don't have any snobbery about, I don't like snobbery in cookbooks when they say you must have fresh this and fresh that and you think well yeah if you can but I've got frozen garlic in my freezer and I live for it and my frozen ginger live for it because if I want to whip up some Chinese food and I don't and I haven't got a piece of uh, ginger and it might be three in the morning because I'm often awake cooking in early in the morning and I can't pop down to wherever (laughs) so I've got it in the freezer frozen and I think there's any shame in that and if anyone thinks that shameful well you know I'm
0: not cooking for them. I'm I'm completely with you those little blocks of frozen ginger in my freezer all the time because who goes well I'm going out now and I'm just going out and you've got to try and find a bulb of ginger somewhere and it's just impossible sometimes but um anyway now um it's your it's your scary question moment maybe um it's your desert island disc style question for this podcast so Your scenario is you are cooking for three dinner guests. They can be alive or dead, and we want to know who are they and what are you going to cook for them?
1: Oh, good. Only three. Mm. Literally hundreds of people. Most of the people I'd like to sit at a table with are sort of historical figures because I'd really like to know what actually went on. I'm I'm sort of very interested in sort of ancient civilization. So I'd love to sit with Ramesses or you know Nefertiti or something and say, what was it really like for you, love? Um, Especially people like Nefertiti, you think how, you know, she must've been extraordinary. And um, then, you know, all of that sort of Alfred the Great, people like that, people who uh, thought that education was important and legal systems. And all that time ago, you know, Aristotle, all these great thinkers, so i suppose i would have to pick from them really or someone elizabeth the first maybe because she was sort of an extraordinary woman clearly um richard the third i probably couldn't have those two at the same table but um i don't want them arguing that would be embarrassing um but i would like to know the truth uh, if you could you know but also some people like alan turing i suppose i'd be interested because i'd like to say to him you know it all worked out and you were brilliant and um and i know maybe he knows i don't know what happens but so i think it's difficult that isn't it um And modern people, I don't know. I mean, I'm obsessed with people like Pink and um, Victoria Wood and all the rest of it. But I don't know. I don't know if you'd ever meet your idols, really. And maybe that's a bit contentious to say, but I always think that they might just... (laughs) (laughs) disappointing. So I don't know, who would it be out of those lot? I don't know. I'm going to go completely, I'm going to throw this question out and add a new twist to it and say, what I'd love to do is to have three people who have to cook all the time and never get cooked for whoever they are, wherever they they are in the world, and cook their favourite, absolute favourite dinner for each of them. So just in for that evening or that day, they would be utterly spoiled and just sit there and gorge themselves on their favorite food and not have to lift a finger for it. That would be my dream moment.
0: Well, that sounds like an absolute gift, doesn't it? What a kind person you are.
1: Oh, well actually I just think it'd be lovely isn't it I mean as you say you cook all the time so you know if somebody people don't like people say oh, I don't really like to cook for you you're such a good cook Well, you know but that's not really true I I know what I like so I make the things that I like you know and then other people happen to like that often but I'm sure not always but if somebody else makes me beans on toast I'm thrilled because I've not made it it's brilliant I've not had to think about it I'm just sat there you know I get made um, poached eggs on Marmite toast is uh, the speciality of of his nibbingtons and it pleases me so much one because i love it and um, two because i didn't <laughs> like it.
0: my my his nibs makes the the greatest poached eggs and the greatest stormlets. but i've never had my poached eggs on marmite toast i'm having that on sunday now
1: oh, it's I mean, I literally, I mean, I know the Marmite is one of those things you love or hate, but you know, because I love it. I just think it's just bliss. It's such a wonderful, black pepper on it. Please try it. Right. Thank you.
0: So so toast, bit of butter, some Marmite, poached eggs on top and some pepper. Pepper. That's it, Enjoy. Sunday. Enjoy. I, I mean, I make bread, I'm you see, because I'm- you a WhatsApp from me on Sunday morning right, now. Will,
1: yeah.
0: My marmite <laughs> poached eggs.
1: Perfect. <laughs>
0: But look, um, we all know you for your work in theatres and in Emmerdale, um, but recently there's been a lot of acclaim for a new drama in which you had a role, and it was called It's a Sin. Um, For anyone who doesn't know it, it was written by the the very famous Russell T Davies, uh, creator of Queer as Folk and former scriptwriter for Doctor Who. Um, And It's a Sin focuses on the gay community and the rise of the AIDS crisis during the 1980s, which someone of my tender years, of course, very familiar with that period of time, and, and um, you know, a lot of the fears and anxieties and things that circulated um, uh, around that time. I was about, you know, in the early 80s, kind of about uh, 18, was I 18 years old, 16? Yeah, 16, 18 years old around that time. But um, so, and I've, I've seen um, the programme, and it was absolutely phenomenal but what drew you to the role um, that that you
1: were offered? Tell Tell us a little bit more about it. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, one has so little control over roles you're offered, but I really wanted this. And even though it was a very small role, I wanted to be part of it. And it's very important to me to that the story is told properly, and I knew that Russell would do this, and I want my kids, my stepkids, to understand the impact it had on our generation and the stigma that still remains. You know, um, I, I this is ludicrous and it's embarrassing to admit, but I wore fake glasses because I had been told that um, you could it could be transmitted by saliva. And if you got it in your eye, you could get AIDS. I mean, not just HIV, just AIDS. You know, you just got AIDS, didn't you? That was the sort of way everyone was talking. And and I was terrified. I just thought this is this awful thing. And because there was this whole build-up, it was this gay plague, it was this human cesspit. We were given all this horrific, horrific behavior by the establishment and the press were just awful. They became this gay plague, didn't it? I think that it was, it's so important now that people can understand that there are a lot of people of, of this generation and beyond who are still living with that stigma and they're still coming to terms with that or they grew up in, in their sexual, you know, it's like knowing that in 1967, when things were repealed legally, there were lots of men who are still alive today, who all of their formative years as a as a gay man were in fear of committing a crime, were in secret. And then they went into an AIDS period. You know, I mean, it's sort of, there's all these moments in history that I think it's very important for gay men, especially, but not just the men, because lots of women were involved and Wonderfully, you know, from all uh, denominations helping and assisting and affected, um, that we that we know this history. History of your who you are is very important, and I think in the LGBTQ plus uh, group, it's very important for people to know their history because all of the things that are happening now happen because these things happened before. And something that I've said in previously is that for me, because I'm known for playing a gay character, I get very much um, sidelined now as this sort of old school gay character type. And so Matthew, Rajat, whatever I call myself, I get sidelined into that because I was very much part of that world. And I think that the fact that I was involved in the first gay marriage on primetime television that the character played on emmerdale broke a lot of ground that had never been seen on primetime shows before is now almost sort of oh we've done all that but it wasn't very long ago you know mm-hmm. things have moved, sometimes move too fast and i think it's important to revisit the history to be able to say ah oh, that's where that came from that's how these prejudices and stigmas are still remaining because of this and because of that and, and we can build a better foundation i think for our kids to have understanding and hopefully not repeat the things that were done to us
0: yeah. um i'd heard um i mean you tell me if it's true but i'd heard i think i probably read in an interview that it was important to russell t davies that he cast it's a sin um yes. with people who who were gay
1: um, I think I think telling a queer story with queer actors is a very interesting and important thing to do at this stage where we are. And it's something that I've, I have sort of steer clear of. This It's a huge, you know, it's a very uh, complicated issue. But the thing is, people say, well, you know, you hear people say, well, actors, are actors, they should play whatever, you know, and that's usually coming from white, straight male actors who obviously have that freedom. But as I point out to them, they're they are, they're the people, it's not a level playing field. They have access to everything. I, because I'm now deemed to be this gay actor, I have got the fuzzy end of the lollipop. So I'm only allowed to play gay roles apparently. So if that's the way it is, then, then I want access to those gay roles first, thank you very much. But also I think if it were a level playing field and all the people in networks and uh, producers or whomever makes the choices, ultimately signs off on which actor plays what, don't do it with any gender prejudice, any color prejudice, any age prejudice, any of those things, any uh, sexuality, then we will have a level playing field and that will be fantastic. But until that day, if that is ever possible, another podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> um, then it, we won't. And so I think it is important. The other thing also that is always worth considering—I'm not saying it's a fact, but it's definitely worth thinking about—if you're not a gay person—is that um, most straight people play gay roles using certain codes. There's a certain way they do it. The most extreme would be a straight man camping about, limp wrists, lisping, and spangling about the place. You know, and to me, that's. Offensive and foul even though of course those sorts of characters exist but there's a certain code that's been used there the shorthand that I think is uh, I don't like, to be honest. And so there's a shorthand that actors have to use in certain circumstances. Obviously, if you've never murdered anyone, you you can't only have people who've murdered someone playing a murderer, but you have certain codes that you use to access that, you know? And some people do that really well. Some actors do it well, and that's that's all great. But, you know, in something like this, there is a certain uh, realness that living a queer life brings to a queer character, because you don't use shorthand. You're just playing your. You're just playing your truth of it, you know. And acting is a lot about how you relate to a character. So you think, how what would I do in this circumstance, you know? And how do I do this? You have to make it real so that it becomes almost seems like it's a, a sort of innate reaction that you're having to whatever the scene is you're doing. And I think that that's very complicated in that you can't just say only this and only that. But until there is a much more level playing field and more understanding, I think of what it means for. Queer, people to tell their own story black people to tell their own story women to tell their own story you know in the way they want to is i think until that is the case then uh, i think what russell has done is has been extremely important not only because as a final thing i'll get off my soapbox <laughs> is that he has uh, made uh, it public and created discussion and as we know with all these things it's so important that people talk about it
0: yeah, absolutely. For anybody, if you haven't seen it, I hope it's still um, available on, on Catch Up, but do watch it. It's a Sin was absolutely fabulous. Some fantastic acting from some, especially some young people that I'd not seen before. Um, it was really gripping. I think we, we watched the whole thing over two nights. Um, but talking of, of telling stories, um, before we finish, and, and for listeners who who, uh, who don't know, what what prompted your involvement with the Encephalitis Society? Just tell us a little bit about how and why you became involved.
1: I, I became involved with encephalitis because my friend mark uh contracted it and i'd never heard of it ever i didn't even know the word as i'm sure is the case for many people and um so and i did what everybody does these days and you google you know and then you guys came up and i can believe you down the road you know in yorkshire it was amazing and and then you know i felt sort of ridiculous but because i was you know you, when you are backed into a corner with something you think i i, I just got to call, pick up a Phone and say hello. I don't know anything about this. Can you help me? And then, of course, you know, as anyone who has ever called your um, in your the charity will know, you're then greeted with the most incredible empathy and understanding and information, and suddenly everything felt like it was going to be okay. You know, and then that, the, as you may recall, it was the most horrific journey for Mark and. A sort of double dip with it and just awful things and he went to the brink but survived you know which is in itself incredible and um but I was supported throughout by all of you so it's uh we've we've you know it's and we've come out the other side and here we are 14 years later as you say why no right
0: 14 years oh no anybody think we were getting old Matthews
1: <laughs> never I refused to
0: never absolutely um Look, well so what does the future hold for you now Matthew? What what's next in the life of Rajat Emboes?
1: Well, Rajat Emboes has just finished filming Midsummer Murders. So um as a, as a Dodgy doctor, or is he, or is he, and and hence the long hair, darlings. Oh, um, yeah. so uh, and that's Raja, which has been great, you know, and that's so nice. It's like having a whole other alter ego, which I'm loving, and um, and it, for the first time in a long time, I'm playing not necessarily a nice character, very charming. Of, but um, somebody who's potentially just a bit of a criminal. And uh, I loved it. It was so great. It's such a fun show to be on. And um, I'm doing a play reading because theatres have opened. Yay! So I'm doing a play reading next week. Um, somebody I know has written a play. So I'm just going down to do a couple of days on that, which will be great. And then, but really, the rest of my life, those are the bits that sound glamorous. But the um, the bit that's uh, what I'll be really doing is just weeding my allotment, which is overgrown because I've not been anywhere near it. And that's not a euphemism, by the way. But it's, I'll actually will be doing. That's what I'm going to do. And I have a feeling June, July is just going to run amok, and nature's just going to reclaim it. Frankly, so. But um, I shall be outlining it all on Operation Good Life, of course.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to coming over and seeing it in person. Um, I could talk to you all day, of course, and we have done before, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, but before we finish, is, is there anything you'd like to say before we bring the podcast to a close?
1: I suppose just start, you know, finish where we started really is that I think it's so important now for us all as we're climbing out of uh, lockdowns and things to just to remember that we all have gone on a different journey for this and we've all processed it so differently. And I think I I see increasingly people just being a bit sort of, well, you're being, you know, anti-vaxxers or anti-this, anti-that. But it's, it's a personal journey. We've got to process this in our own way. So we must be kind to each other because the only way we're really going to get through through this and move on and get this world back on its feet the way we, we should be and all be the best us is to just help each other really and just be kind and try to be understanding and if you can't say anything nice then just sh*t it. <laughs>
0: yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I know that we we've had offline conversations uh, about this. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, so that's good advice, people. You know, if you if you can't be anything else, be kind. We've covered an awful lot. We're deeply grateful to you, Matthew, for taking the time to chat with us uh, today. Thank you for asking me. You're so welcome. We should do another one. We've covered so many things now. I've got other podcasts now in my mind about it. So... But for those of you that are listening, the Encephalitis Society services, they remain unaffected. So if you need any support or information, our teams remain at your service. Go to encephalitis.info for contact details or to chat online with any of the team. And as always, if you can support our work at this really challenging time, then do please visit encephalitis.info forward slash donate. Most of all, still keep washing your hands uh stick to the government guidelines whenever this podcast goes out get vaccinated um, if you can and matthew and i i think um, we should finish this podcast in true it's a sin style <laughs> three two one
1: Love.
0: Love. <laughs>